There are two gospel readings. First, Mark 2, where we read the story that takes place early in Jesus' ministry, which reveals that he is more than a healer or miracle worker. And from John, Mark, sorry, from Luke 23, we hear the first words that Jesus utters from the cross. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left for them in the house, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The paralyzed man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And now Luke's description of Jesus' crucifixion. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the word of the Lord. So today we begin a new sermon series for the season of Lent, looking at Jesus' last words spoken from the cross. Normally, we observe Lent as a time where we journey with Jesus to the cross and uh, not so much uh, focus on the week of Jesus' passion, that week, uh, what we call Holy Week, which is the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross and then Easter celebration of Jesus' resurrection. But Brennan and I have in mind that by looking at these words while spoken at the end of Jesus' life, nevertheless, what Jesus says from the cross serves as a revelation of who he truly is and then who we are in relationship to him. So thus, our focus is going to be less of a journey to the cross and more of a journey of the cross, bringing it forward these seven weeks and reflecting upon what does this mean? There are 
uh, seven last words. We'll follow them sequentially. Three of them are found in Luke's gospel. Three are found in John's gospel. And then the seventh one, not necessarily the last one, but one of them is found in Matthew and Mark in parallel passages. The first word we get is from Luke's gospel, who, if you'll notice, does not dwell long on the details of Jesus' crucifixion. Once Jesus and the executioners arrive at the place where he will be um, crucified, Golgotha, we know it. He says here the, the, the translation of that means the place of the skull. He succinctly states that the soldiers crucified Jesus there. And that his cross was positioned between two criminals who were crucified to his right and to his left. And then comes these first words Jesus speaks from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now a statement like this raises lots of questions. Who are they that Jesus asked to be forgiven? Was it the Roman soldiers who had scourged him, mocked him, tortured him, and nailed him to this cross? Did Jesus also include with them the, um, the religious leaders of Jerusalem who accused Jesus of blasphemy and demanded he be executed? Was Jesus also thinking of his own disciples who had, at his arrest, deserted him and fled? And then, does Jesus also have in mind you and me, who, because of our sin, are in need of an atoning sacrifice that we might be free of such sin? Are they being forgiven specifically for this act of, of participating and contributing to Jesus' death? Or are they being forgiven for everything they've ever done? Are they merely being forgiven for what they know not? And therefore, they're to be held accountable for what they do know. Someone reminded me that our penal system says, whether you know or not, you're still guilty of an offense, of, a, of an offense of California law. You can't plead ignorance. Oh, I didn't know that you can't turn left here. I tried that once, and... I said, well, I'm new in town. And that was somewhat true. I was an intern working in Fresno, and you just can't turn left there. And there were signs, but I missed the signs. So I pled ignorance, and he wrote out the ticket. <laughs> Does forgiveness equal salvation, such that it's complete in itself, or is there more required after that? And is forgiveness automatic? Does God give it to us whether we ask for it or not? Or must we ask for it with a sense of repentance and, and honesty and sincerity? If you've ever experienced forgiveness between an individual, you know it's not a simple thing. It's quite difficult and complicated and while you think that person says you're forgiven the next time you encounter them you wince a little bit wondering is it still true 
even as Jesus experiences the pain and anguish of a cruel death on the cross, his primary thought is of others. So he prays a prayer of intercession on their, on our behalf. And this reminds us that forgiveness comes at great cost. Always. It's a gift whose exchange is as important to the one giving it as it is to the one receiving it. It's possible to forgive somebody who's long since died and to experience that forgiveness. But it's not easy. Forgiveness dominated Jesus' words in his life. When asked by his disciples how to pray, one of the themes of that prayer's petition is to ask for forgiveness and to practice it. When we commonly pray that prayer, we're the only Christian group that I know of that uses the word debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every other Christian group and tradition you come in contact with will say trespasses. There's a young man who, uh, who petitioned the session of this church when he was an elder, serving as a high school elder, um, to say, can we change it to what it probably really is? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It was Russ Haynes. He got voted down because Presbyterians like tradition. We like sticking with what we've been doing for a long time. But hopefully we all know what we mean. Peter once asked this very calculated question, and that tells me that he had forgiven someone, but it didn't quite feel like it, it was complete and he felt like he had to do it again and again. And so then he comes to Jesus and says, you know, how much is enough? When can I say I've done my part and I'm done? How about seven times? And Peter thinks he's being generous. That's a week's worth. Jesus looks at him and says, how about 70 times seven, Peter? In other words, Keep counting. It may take the rest of your life. And then when Jesus presides over this meal that he shares with his disciples, he interprets the significance of this cup by saying, this is God's new commitment, new pledge to you. That this is poured out. This is my life poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. The word of Jesus, this word of Jesus from the cross and his actions reflected in this story of the outset of his public ministry made known in Mark's gospel says something about Jesus and something about us. And first I want to consider what it says about us. If you're like me, you read a story or you hear a story, you identify with someone in the story. It's just very natural to do that. That's how we, that's how we um, appreciate and engage with stories. And in this particular story, most of us will identify with someone in the room. 
listening to Jesus' every word and then anticipating this very dramatic scene where this man has been lowered down into the, from the ceiling down to the, to the floor and he's, at, he's right in front of Jesus and we think, like everyone else, we're about to witness a miracle. This is what Jesus is known for. This is why so many people have started following him. And so we think that this is one of those healing stories and we're right in them we're going to see it or if you think you're a little bit more advanced in your spiritual life perhaps you're one of the four who has brought this man to Jesus and you know and believe who Jesus is and and what he's capable of and so you just want to bring other people to him and so you identify with one of them because after all Jesus said at the text Mark tells us when Jesus saw their faith and so you, yeah, that, that would be me. But who of us identifies with this paralyzed man? Not very many of us. And yet, I think that's what, Luke, that's what Mark is trying to get us to see, that we're more like him than anyone else in the room. Like Tim prayed... Um, this morning about the ways in which we need forgiveness. Um, we don't like to think that our need for forgiveness also means that we're helpless or that we might be victims in some way. That we may be in denial or feign excuses or we might seek to negotiate a settlement to be reconciled with someone, but don't ask for forgiveness. That's a little, um, that's a little raw. Seldom do we want to see ourselves as powerless and at someone else's mercy. But this paralytic represents what we're all like in our sinful condition. We are imprisoned. We are in bondage. We are condemned. We are unable to meet our need without the help and action of a loving and merciful God. And if you don't experience that on a regular basis, then I encourage you to find someone who has those kind of needs and, and, and engage with such a person because they will remind you of how desperate all of us are. Whether they are guests at the living room or residents of one of our prisons or whether they are on the streets and they've come off of them seeking shelter and food. When you get to know someone who has that sense of awareness of how dependent we are. Because the problem beneath all others is that we experience as human beings is this separation and resistance that we have toward God such that sin becomes for us a way of life that we've grown accustomed to. And we continue hurting ourselves and one another with bouts of anger or impatience or competitiveness, with acts of negligence or apathy or lack of compassion or feeling too proud to need anyone's help or support or just choosing 
to fall in love with something else, anything else, but attend to our need for God. And forgiveness is God's answer. What these words and actions of Jesus say about him is that his action is not merely a show of mercy to this wretched man, but a demonstration of the presence and power of God's kingdom made, made, made direct and available and present in the person of Jesus. By claiming to have the power and authority to forgive sins, Jesus was not merely claiming to be a messenger from God, representing God, but rather he himself is God. His whole life and ministry was an assault upon sin at a very deep level, such that the forgiven person who encounters Jesus is conscious that her sin has shut her out from a life with God and has altered her life altogether of who she's meant to be. But God's way of forgiveness finds and restores the person behind the offense. That's what's so hard for us. The other day I got cut off by somebody who clearly was upset with me or was just upset in general. And by the way that person drove, I could tell they wanted me to know it. And I said, okay, you've got my attention. Actually, I was a little more irritated than that. I did not think well of this individual. And then I thought to myself, I, I don't know whether it was the Spirit of God convicting me or what, and says, well, how do you think God sees that person? And then I thought, maybe they're rushing to a hospital because of a loved one. Maybe they weren't meaning that for me at all. And then I remembered the person signaled. And I thought, who is this person? Not a jerk not a reckless driver, but someone who signals when they cut you off. <laughs> Jesus was able to see behind the offense to the person, how valuable, how important, how loved they are, how deserving of God's love they are. I don't know if you've seen the sign lately, but um, I thought it was just here in Santa Rosa, but I find out it's a statewide um, thing on those, those electric billboards. I saw it going south on 101 right around where Cottingtown Mall is. It's, it's not what you expect on a freeway. Watch out for pedestrians. And I'm thinking, on a highway, you know. And then as if I'm responsible for the pedestrians that are crossing a highway. But then it goes on to say what really captured me was it says they do not come with armor. I'm like, okay, was someone being clever? What, is this really meant for a freeway? And then I realized, no, they're just trying to get all of us as, all of us as, um, as drivers to be aware to pay attention and to look out for them. Do we have to be reminded that we don't come with armor? That's what Ash Wednesday is all about. It's a reminder how frail we are when we say, from ashes we've come to ashes 
from dust we shall return. Repent and believe the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because a friend is betray, will betray us, a parent may abuse us, and a spouse may leave us. And few of us find our way through life without some hurt which has wounded and wronged us. Even if it's from a well-meaning friend. How difficult is it to forgive Difficult enough that it sent Jesus to the cross. And it's always been that way. Because if you really love someone, you take their faults and their sins to heart. You know what it does to them, how it twists a person's personality and distorts their future and, and everything that they're living for. Forgiveness is never easy. It's not for Jesus, and it's not for us. But God has done all that is necessary in Jesus Christ to assure us that we're loved that much, that we indeed are forgiven, and that we can be forgiving. That's what this meal represents, which we're about to celebrate. And the song we're about to sing will orient us to that reality in a fresh way.